Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Amazer Podcast. I am Kyle Bolin, and I am here with Todd Relu. Hello. Brian Mark. Hello. And Scott James. What's up, guys? Yeah, awesome. We are here today to talk about Batman 1 through 7, The Court of Owls by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. I had to practice that quite a bit. His name is very confounding to me. Um, but anyway. Here we are. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Court of Owls today. But before we move on to that, how about we talk about our tasty adult beverages that we're drinking? Let's start over here with Brian. What are you drinking, buddy? I'm a drinking a 10-year McKellen. 10-year McKellen. Nice. That's a scotch, in case anybody doesn't <laughs> yes. know. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, Cause... there you go. Not everybody yeah. knows scotch, buddy. So you're yeah. just drinking it like, what, on the straight. rocks? That's straight. what you no, do I with drink scotch. It straight. I'm a scotch... Straight. I drink my scotch straight. So is, yeah. this a, is this a single malt, double malt? It is a single malt. Single malt. Wow. Yeah. That must Nummy. mean it's pretty good. It's all I know mm-hmm. about scotch. Right. Yeah, don't mix it. You no. just get some bourbon for that. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. Todd, what are you drinking, buddy? I'm drinking wine. It says it is a Zinfandel. It is called The Independent. And on the back, it has life advice. It says... The most courageous <laughs> act is still to think for yourself. So, wow, yeah. So Apropos, there you go. I, I bet must there's say. a lot of divorcees that love <laughs> the independent. <laughs> well, that's At good advice for all our listeners out there. There you go. From the wine From bottle the to you. Yeah, exactly. Scott, what are you drinking? Oh boy, I've got some beer again from mm-hmm. uh, Mendocino Brewing Company. Okay, with the Red Tail Amber Ale. Oh, nice. I love uh, amber ales, and mm-hmm. red-tailed hawks are my favorite bird. Do they put a red-tailed <laughs> hawk in the There's beer? There's a picture. <laughs> as close as they get is they put a picture of a red-tailed hawk on the bottle. Okay. Does it taste maybe hawky at all? I, you know, yes, it does taste like a hawk. Good. Not an eagle a or a bald eagle. Like, that would be sacrilegious hawkish. to my religion of patriotism. That's right. Yes. Awesome. So, in okay. in spirit of the birds that we'll read about today, mm-hmm. I'm drinking the red tail embryo. Good point. Good point. I am drinking a Founders Brewing Company breakfast stout. It's a double chocolate coffee oatmeal stout. Sticking with my theme of always drinking a beer that has at least four adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Today we're going to be discussing Batman Court of Owls. Like I said, it's issues one through seven in Batman, whatever volume they're on now. Volume two, I think. What volume Uh, is this? I think it's volume two. Uh, I'm pretty sure they didn't break volume between the original Batman series and this until the New 52. Uh, For our listeners out there, and probably Scott, who don't know, the New 52 was a break in continuity that happened in 2011 where they basically rebooted the entire DC universe uh, like they've done before. And restarted it and said, hey, fresh continuity, but not entirely. It's kind of weird like that. They left some stuff in, some stuff out, and they didn't exactly make it clear what stayed and what didn't. So continuity's kind of been a little bit of a confusing thing, I think, in the DC Universe for, at least for those of us like me who don't read a lot of DC. Uh, But anyway, I think the first thing we wanted to talk about was what makes this story notable. Uh, Scott, I know you, maybe we're going to ask the question, what stood out to each of us personally? Uh, yeah, to me, um, 
you know, this was a big contrast to what I we had read previously in the Iron Man. Yeah, it was book that we saw that I loved. Uh, this was a lot different. It seemed like it was really trying to be a legitimate, you know, story, legitimate character development. It wasn't just, you know, a cartoon of itself, which is what the that other nineteen seventies Iron Man comic book was. Mm-hmm. You know, just a really goofy story with lots of wacky things happening and yeah. there was they attempted to be a little bit serious but it was kind of like the mexican um soap opera serious you know where they know that it's kind of cheesy and over the top mm-hmm. but this one was attempting to seriously be you know a character driven story and uh that really stood out to me um yeah very, so that, very the, different. the thing that makes it notable to you then is just the contrast between this particular method of storytelling and the method of storytelling that we saw in the Iron Man Demon in a Bottle story we discussed two weeks ago, Yep, uh, which is in line with kind of what we talked about on that podcast. We talked a lot about the the contrast between the older style of storytelling in comics and the newer Mm -hmm. style, and this is a good Mm -hmm. example of that. So, um, Todd, what made this notable to you? Anything? Oh, I mean, I think that they did a good job uh, sort of in the first part of it, reintroducing you to Batman. I mean, they kind of do the whole sort of fight against all the villains to reintroduce you to his villains gallery, Mm -hmm. uh, his rogues gallery, if you will. Um, I think the one thing that, I, you know, I don't know if this is the time to get into negatives on it as well. I mean, I think they do a lot of things right. To me, Batman looks too young. Mm-hmm. So Batman, the, the, so Kapoor's drawing of Batman himself is fine, but Bruce Wayne, especially <laughs> when you compare him with all the Batmans, looks too young. And it made me realize that to me, Batman is a dad. Like he yeah. always has been to me. And if he doesn't look the age of a dad, it just doesn't fit. I mean, maybe Batman Todd, year one would be an exception. Well, yeah, maybe that's it. But no, I mean, I, I never really realized that to me, w- one of the reasons I've always liked Batman is that he's... He's the quintessential dad. I mean, he's out there to protect people. Uh, maybe not different from many other superheroes, but you know that he's got the sort of um, that. That's really front and sort of foremost for for Batman is protection. And so when he looks too young, it just breaks the whole thing down. And there's a panel in which he has all of the current and former Robins lined up next to him, and he looks yeah, like well. their older brother. You know, it just it, it, yeah. that doesn't work for me. Um, I had the same problem that you had when I first started reading Batman back in 2011 when they launched this volume. Uh, the, the art definitely grew on me a lot. I love Capullo's art. Um, I'm a huge fan now. Uh, and there's some in-universe explanations as to why he looks younger than what you're used to also. Um, when I, I, I don't know exactly. I think that when they launched Justice League, it was kind of like the beginning of superheroes in this new 52 universe. And I believe that they were around the age of 25 at that point. Mm. And this is sort of like five years later. So he's around 30. So, you know, there's a little bit of a, I don't know. It's a little bit weird because you can see Damien there, who's definitely a teenager, like a young teenager. But he's Bruce Wayne's son. So if he's at 30, then, I mean, he had to have had him pretty young or there was some magic involved with raising him. I don't know. Um, but anyway, maybe he's 35. He's definitely no older than 35 in this. Um, but that would be like, you know, one reason why he looks a little younger here than maybe he did in the previous universe, the post crisis universe where he looked maybe more like, you know, between 35 and 40 most of the time. I thought they were trying to emphasize how he hasn't really been through a lot yet. Yeah. Well, seemed less, uh, grizzled or less tired and burnt and this story is where that starts to happen yeah it does seem that way in this story um 
that they definitely seem like they're trying to emphasize his overconfidence and we'll, we'll get all that's that's probably part of the discussion later on down the down the road but uh brian was there anything that stood out as a, that made it a notable story for you i mean i thought it was it's bold as a, a whole comic uh for me like a comic industry to restart a whole story yeah and to be able to uh grab somebody immediately especially when you know people like me already have uh conceptions about what batman is and mm-hmm. isn't and so that's that's what i thought was interesting and it was able to do that you know it i found it very interesting yeah that um i have a question about that actually that makes me wonder like how much do the three of you how much experience have the three of you had with batman i mean probably everybody's seen the movies you know like probably everybody's seen at least the first two michael keaton movies the uh the christian bale movies and probably everybody's seen the animated series right yeah yes I okay. Have. Yeah. Uh, does anybody have any like experience actually reading Batman? Yeah, I mean that's Batman Spawn comic. Okay. <laughs> Batman Spawn. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is at their sure. best when they have a crossover with Spawn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Todd, you were speaking up there. Oh no. Yeah. I've. I've. It's been intermittent, but I've picked up a number of Batman issues over time. I think shortly after. I don't. I don't know at what point, but I think shortly after. I saw some of the early movies um, with with Michael Keaton as Batman. I picked up at some point the greatest detective stories ever told, or something like that, that had a smattering of of yeah. runs way back to the early Batman. So I've got sort of you know bits and pieces all throughout sort of Batman's run. Mm-hmm. I know you read the uh, the Dark Knight Returns because we both read yes. that in college together. So right, and Batman Year One. Yeah, very good. Um... Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, it seems like they keep a lot of that continuity from, like, you know, some of the old stories here. Uh, but they're not real clear about what's here and what's not. Um, right. And they definitely make Batman seem less experienced than he seemed at the end of the post-crisis universe just before they relaunched in 2011. So there's yep. definitely some some confusion there if you're not following it too closely, I think. Uh, yeah, I think the thing that you guys all kind of touched on stuff that makes it stand out to me. I think the main thing was that this was the first touch uh, stone I had with the new 52 universe. Uh, when it came out, I pretty much picked up just about anything I could get my hands on. Action comics, Superman comics, Batman, Detective, and Justice League. Uh, I think I even got Flash number one. And uh, this was the one that stuck. I've only read Batman out of the new 52 consistently myself up to this day. And I love it. It's great. Um, but, you know, Batman and I go back pretty far he was my first superhero comic so yeah okay well, um, i mean i think he's one of the great characters of all time one of the great heroes i mean i, I think it's inarguable right i mean yeah. like yeah i mean i think there's no doubt and i think for me batman has always stood out because you know and i mean <laughs> uh sort of uh, batman returns and all of that i mean i i think that uh, or the dark knight returns uh, you know i think it's sort of the idea of a, a human who can go toe to toe even if he's the richest most technologically uh you know advanced human in the world can go toe to toe with superman or any yeah. of these other uh superheroes and and lay them low if he needs to right yeah no i mean that's been a theme that that shows up in batman comics or comics that involve batman frequently is that he is mortal. He is just a normal human, but he finds the way to stand toe to toe with the gods that walk the earth. So yeah, and it's a lot. I mean, it's cool. intelligence based in a lot of ways too. I mean, he you know studied these people so well that he can predict them. I yeah. think that's always stood out to me. That the the sort of willpower that he has to use to constantly push through whatever terrible, tragic thing he's enduring, uh, which we see in this particular story. I think. Yep. 
moving on, right? Okay, so we said we wanted to try to summarize the story a little bit. Um, to try to give some context to our conversation. Because I know last time when we were speaking about Demon in a Bottle, we didn't really summarize the story in any sort of um, structured way. And it might help for us to kind of talk about the issues in order, or at least the story in order. Okay, I'm going to go on with the summary. If you guys have anything you want to jump in and say, uh, just interject and, 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 you know, go on. Because we'll, uh, I, I wrote a big outline, and Should we there's feel a lot like- of words here. Should we just like interject when we want to say like the next thing that happens? You know, like you say, "Hey, he's fighting." He goes over. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got like a, a little outline style bullet point like list of events, and we'll just go. And if you okay. guys want to jump in, jump in. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. So we start with Batman One. Uh, it starts with Batman narrating in the little narration box about Gotham Gazette's Gotham column that is about Gotham is. They're basically he's explaining that there's a Gotham is column where somebody re- like. Uh, readers of the Gotham Gazette write in and say, Gotham is Batman. Gotham is Killer Croc. Gotham is the Joker, whatever. And it's just them basically trying to say how they think Gotham is characterized. Uh, this is happening as we see Bath- Batman fighting his entire rogues gallery minus the Joker in Arkham Asylum. Uh, that quickly turns into Batman getting the upper hand and just kicking all their butts with his ever-present sidekick, the Joker. Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, so Batman and Joker are kicking butt. Uh, after that, it cuts to Gordon and Batman discussing the breakout, which Batman explains he was investigating a corrupt guard who was on the take uh, named Dan Matthews. It cuts to the Batcave. Then it shows Bruce. When I say Bruce, I mean he's got his mask off. If he's got his mask off, he's Bruce. If he's got his mask on, I'm saying Batman. Bruce is talking to Dick. Dick Grayson is his very first Robin, who is now Nightwing. Uh, he's talking to him about his new contact lens. He's like going on about his contact lens that can basically uh, interface with the back computer and allow him to uh, identify things Google Google Glass style and, and record whatever. Yeah, uh, and, you know, Kyle, like when it went through these first three segments and they happened really quick, you mm-hmm. know, like it goes really quick. And what you were telling me to expect in terms of like the artwork telling a lot of the story was yeah. definitely true. Mm-hmm. And then when it goes from like the newspaper portion where they're like, it's like this kind of artsy way to think about the city and yeah. kind of abstract like use one word to describe it or whatnot and yeah. then showing all the villains and then um the fact that he's like fighting with the joker obviously there's something going on there that's unique and he kind of hints at that when he's talking to um commissioner mm-hmm. um it's just like that, you can tell it's a lot true. well it's just a lot more um there's a lot more depth to this type of story you could tell right away yeah. Um, versus some, you know, like the last book that we read. Well, it's it's that show don't tell method of storytelling that right. we've talked about before. Yeah. And it's it's if this had been Iron Man in 1979, he would be narrating exactly why the Joker was fighting alongside of him yeah, through exactly. his speech bubbles and and telling us every little detail, you know. Uh, and and this one leaves things a little like there's something to be left explained at the end of the panel or at the end of the page. Yep. And that's part of the joy of reading these comics is seeing the explanation come, you know, yeah. and, and letting the story actually unfold rather than just being told every single little bit of information as it's coming at you, you know? Yeah. That's how books work. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're thinking all kinds of things. Is he really fighting with Joker? Or yeah, exactly. what's going on, right? Yeah. I mean, what do you think about the intro? I mean, it's the way to introduce the rogues gallery, but I mean, this is Batman with the help of somebody else, Joker or not, um, or, you know, besting all of these villains. I mean, how, how later on then do they seem more threatening considering you took them all on at once i mean we have this sort of uh <laughs> fighting the ninjas problem again if you have a bunch of ninjas yeah. none of them are helpful at all or none yeah, of them are very good, good. 
It's a good point. I, I, I think that it is just like exposition. It's, it's a storytelling function at this point. Um, but narratively, yeah, it doesn't make much logical sense that he'd be able to stand toe to toe. Was Killer Croc there? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if Killer Croc is there, like that, he's got his hands full, right? You should. Yeah. Clayface was also there, which is also another heavy hitter. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like, sure, if it was just Penguin and the Riddler, okay. But we're talking about some of the 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 big the big bads that he stands toe to toe with and and actually is inferior to physically. So yeah, that's a little bit a little bit silly. But you know, maybe because they're in Arkham, there's you know some. Between the panels, in the gutters, explanation as to how they were able to subdue them within Arkham. Maybe there's some, you know, maybe they've got Sonics in there, something like that, that can help subdue them with just enough time, and he was just holding them back. Who knows? Um, I think I'm, I think there's a lot of suspension, which this initial story is setting up, because I found later uh, myself disbelieving a lot of certain things, but I was mm-hmm. like, well, you know what? He was able to defeat all those villains, and that kind of... I went. I thought about that again. I was like, "Well, if he can defeat all those villains, then he could probably do this or survive this." And there is a certain like peak that they're setting up here because Kyle. I know you're going to go right into this, but he goes straight in. So he shows he beat up all the other villains. You know, he's got a fake Joker. His sidekick is just you know pretending to be. He's then fake. He, <laughs> <laughs> then he's got um, this big pitch that he's making to like revamp Gotham. So like obviously Batman's starting off at this height. Bruce Wayne and Batman are like at their peak. You know, they've beaten all yes. these enemies. They're going to revamp <laughs> all of uh, Gotham City, and they're just waiting to just have the fall after the parade. Right. We're know? showing that he's like king of the castle right now. Yeah, which just sets up the fall. Right through the 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 rest of the comic story. Yeah, yeah. So it, as he's explaining the con- the contact lens to Dick, it quickly moves to a social event that involves Tim and Damien, the other two Robins that have uh, been side by side with him. Tim Drake, of course, was the third Robin and is now Red Robin, I believe, in this universe. Uh, I believe he's with the Teen Titans. I'm not 100% positive on that. And then Damian Wayne, Bruce Wayne's actual son, is the current Robin. He's the one that looks very young. And yeah. is a, he's more mean than the others. And it says That's he's with the Teen Titans. It says right there, Drake is with it. Tim Drake is with the Teen Titans. Okay, yeah, good. Confirmed. Yes. Confirmed. <laughs> Back check. Um, and at that point, we see that the whole narration about Gotham is has actually been Bruce Wayne's speech while he's at this this gala event or or whatever it is, and he's kind of going into the the fact that he can't answer what Gotham is, but he wants to focus on what it will be, and that's where we see that he is starting an initiative to uh, pump a lot of Wayne funds into revitalizing the downtrodden parts of Gotham, modernizing the public transit, um, and that's kind of a big deal. He shows a big holographic display of what the city skyline is going to look once he's done rebuilding, uh, you know, the narrows and all the parts that are all, you know, beaten down and everything. Um, we go from there to meeting Lincoln March, a mayoral candidate who looks a lot like Bruce. Yes. I yes that's what I thought that. too. <laughs> yeah. Like he's a little taller. <laughs> yeah. He's a little taller, but he's got the exact same features, like same jawline, same hair, same eyes, everything like he, same ears, same ear. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, they have two different haircuts. One yes, yes. Lincoln March has a smooth haircut, and yeah. Bruce Wayne is a little tussled. That's yes. exactly right. It's like how they tell Clark and Superman apart, right? With their um, hairstyle. What's the point of this guy, though? That's a good question, right? You'll find out later. Right? Yeah, we have. Will I? Because I I read the whole thing. I'm not sure there's a point, but I'll. <laughs> well, remember I, that I'll uh, trust you. I'll wait till we get there. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, through the, through the Batman 1 through 7 and the Court of Owls, he's just a couple plot points, but I think that they're setting some stuff up for later. Oh, hit, hit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've got some foreshadowing here. Got it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this book. There is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we see, we see Bruce using his contact lens while he's at this function to read the lips of, um, was he reading, uh, Commissioner Gordon's lips, I think. Yeah. 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 So he, he sees him talking to Harvey Bullock about a murder scene, quickly leaves the gala event and rushes over as Batman to the murder scene and finds Bullock there with a John Doe pinned up against a wall with a bunch of antique throwing knives with an owl symbol on there. (laughs) That was Mm -hmm. where I, that was the second point where I was like, this is very different from other comic books you know <laughs> how so this how is, so uh there's a dead guy with knives all stuck to him like plastered up on the wall mm-hmm. like uh seven or true detective yeah like you're so not you... gonna see this in again i don't want to compare everything back to that one iron man but i kind of feel like this is gonna be this is gonna be one of the books. through lines for our entire podcast is yeah. you just like linearly comparing things to the last thing yeah. you you read and the thing before <laughs> that and the thing so before different. that this yeah. is so much different like you would never this isn't going to happen. How could he let this happen? How is he a superhero? He let this guy get murdered, you know? Yeah. Well, that's one of the things about Gotham is people die. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Batman doesn't stop at all. Neither does Harvey Bullock. <laughs> I mean, this this uh, is one of the things I like best, though. I mean, you see, um, you know, Batman cleaning out underneath the f- fingernails of the victim. I like Batman doing sort of standard detective stuff. Uh, yeah. Stuff the detectives should already be doing. Well, <laughs> because yeah, he's human. I, yeah, I, I just really enjoy that. Like, it's not all. I mean, I know he's then testing he in his in his glove and all that, so he's got all the high tech stuff. But there was like a. Uh, do you remember Kyle? There was like a Batman Black and White. Do you remember that one where he oh, yeah. was like trying to find uh, something information about a murder victim and mm-hmm. you know went and talked uh, to someone doing the autopsy or did the autopsy himself and found out yeah. where she had her last meal. I mean, it's just that sort of yeah. like. It was very procedural. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, that was one of my favorite stories, and, and I don't remember if it was volume one or two, but it was uh, very good. Yeah, that's and a great stu- one. It definitely stood out, because like a lot of those were just like, you know, pow, sock, wham, you know, and, right. and this one was uh, showing the very... They say he's always has the uh, the subtitle of World's Greatest Detective. It's right. nice to see that every now and then. <laughs> yeah, that he actually earns it somehow. Yeah, and I feel like in that particular story that you're referencing, we're really seeing like what... I think of as detective work. I think just like taking some stuff behind the, the under the fingernails. The detective work is knowing where to look, but then like the computer's doing the rest of the work from that point on, you know. Right. Um so even then I feel like we're seeing a little less detective-y stuff than we did in in some other stories, but this is Batman, not Detective Comics, so I'm willing to let that slide. If they want to go a little bit more actiony in Batman and be more detective-y and detective, I think that makes sense. Oh, um sure. But I don't even know if that's the case. I haven't been reading Detective other than, like, issue one or something. So. Yeah, I think the thing that I like about it, too, especially from the Batman black and white story, which I'll stop talking about since that's not what we covered. Um, <laughs> Maybe is, we should. Yeah, right. Is, um, you know, that every life matters in a way. Like, with Superman, yes. you get the feeling that there's a lot of stuff that's just beneath him and should be. I mean, he really should be saving us from asteroids and whatever. Like, the lowest thing he should be concerned about is a train derailing because that's got hundreds of people involved in it but you know someone like batman or daredevil or somebody like that 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 can be more of a street level person actually can now, care about sir each of i take issue with your comment because i've seen superman 
and he totally rescues a cat out of a tree. Well, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I guess that's right. Nothing is too small for Superman. <laughs> but no, I, I get your point. You know, like yeah. he's up in the in the Justice League Watchtower watching for major disasters and alien invasions. Not yeah, like, right. Yep. Street level crime. Yeah, I like the scale. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and you're right. It's the same scale that the Marvel has with the street level heroes like Luke Cage and Daredevil and all the stuff that's going to Netflix versus all the stuff that goes to the big screen like Thor and you know uh, Captain America. Right. So. Um, so anyway, while they're investigating the crime scene, Batman is apparently analyzing DNA remotely from the Bat computer and notices the smell of paint thinner. He grabs Bullock's cigar and touches paint thinner on a wall to reveal a fiery message that says Bruce Wayne will die tomorrow. Then they have a little conversation about what tomorrow means. And they assume and- that the victim was the one who left it. Like, why not the murderer? Like, how well, do they know who yeah. put paint thinner on the wall? I don't know. I think they thought the murderer did it, Todd. It said maybe he was just trying to leave a last message, a warning, before he was murdered. Yeah, I, I remember that coming, and then they saw the message, and I, I just assumed that they understood from the point that it was lit that it was the murderer, not the victim. Because mm. it's a threat. Maybe. But anyway, the issue ends with Alfred notifying Batman through the cowl that the skin cells left under the victim's fingernails were Dick Grayson's. Bum, bum, bum. And that's, that's issue one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Dick must be the murderer, right? What's that up? Mm-hmm, Always. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman 2 opens completely differently. We uh, see a little narration about the original Wayne Tower. Uh, he kind of explains that there's 12 gargoyles that serve as guardians over each passageway into the city that his, was it his great-great-grandfather put there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we see Bruce being kicked through apparently supposed to be unbreakable glass. The issue then quickly cuts to 24 hours earlier, where we see Batman on a motorcycle chasing a helicopter full of stolen statues from the museum on some elevated train tracks. He plays chicken with a helicopter and crashes his motorcycle into the helicopter cockpit. Uh, the whole time, he's acting very casual about the whole thing, too. I don't know if you guys, like, kind of reflected on the way that he's yeah. treating that entire interaction. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah it's like, really like, strange. It's no big deal for Batman. No big deal to, like, you know, fight this helicopter with a motorcycle uh, without breaking a sweat while telling Gordon that he'll be there for the autopsy on the John Doe without any sort of problem. So, right. and, you know. the, and sort of, I always think of Batman as thinking about sort of collateral damage. Mm-hmm. And he's crashing a motorcycle into a helicopter that's flying in the middle of Gotham. I mean, it just mm-hmm. seems very unlike Batman to me. Maybe he knew that it was above the train tracks and it was just going to softly land there. Yeah, I guess. Like a rain, the train tracks are made of pillows. I don't know. Yeah, no, it it just struck me as odd. It was odd. Well, we we move from there to see uh, him interacting virtually with Jim Gordon at the uh, coroner's office uh, to do the autopsy on John Doe. Uh, they basically figure out that the the John Doe is a high end trainer, like a boxing trainer or a martial arts trainer, uh, and that the wisdom tooth of the man has the same Athenian owl symbol that the knives had on them. So they see the connection there. Then it cuts back to the Batcave, and we see Dick explaining to Batman that the John Doe ran up to him at a recent event and gave him a warning. He said, they're real, they're everywhere, and they're sending him for you, all of you. And then he scratched Dick's arm while he was grabbing him. So that's where the DNA came from. Bruce apparently knew all this already. Dick kind of made a big deal about, you already knew all this, didn't you, because you're Batman. And, of course, the answer is yes. And then it cuts to Bruce Wayne meeting with Lincoln March in Wayne Tower, discussing donations. Do you, hey, do you think that he distrusted Dick there at no. all? No, I don't think so. Um, I think that, if anything, he was just looking for if there was any more information there. Does he know? always act that aloof then? 
with yeah like, his he always acts that like secret that he trusts. Well, I mean, we're jumping forward here, but you did notice like it was it in the last issue that Dick just kind of like had a complete breakdown about Batman keeping secrets. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I, I think that that's part of it. Is like it, it, it's indicative of so the way he's that always Batman... dissociated from people around him. Yeah, yeah, he's distant. not. He's the he Kobe Bryant of comic book heroes. Got it. You don't see him like implicitly trusting <laughs> anyone other than maybe Alfred. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I you don't see it. him implicitly trusting anyone to the full extent other than maybe Alfred. Yeah, I think that's the point. There's no trust. He doesn't even rely on it. He checks it out ahead of time without yeah. asking. Yeah. And then still has the has to have the conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> because you never know. Like maybe there's something more here, you know, and, and he doesn't want right. a, a filtered story or whatever. I think he even mentions, you know, like I mean this is later on, but he mentions the fact that, you know, one of his first lessons in detective work was not to be emotional when you're uh like investigating a case and you know if he let any sort of emotion direct his thought with dick right then he may not treat it as objectively and there may be an objective factor that he could overlook so it might just be part of that you know i bet we would see him acting differently towards dick if the cow was off it's an interesting theory that's my theory uh so anyway they're up in Wayne Tower discussing donations, discussing the fact that Lincoln sees Bruce as an ally, and he says, especially now, because he starts talking about an ancient and powerful evil coming back to Gotham, uh, and then they're interrupted by an owl ninja who uses throwing knives on both of them, uh, stands up to Bruce's counterattacks, mentions that he loves killing Waynes, and then kicks Bruce out of the window, and then jumps out after him. They trade blows midair. Wait. And then Bruce grabs the 13th Guardian that he decides to mention there to watch the airports is what his grandfather put in the 13th Guardian uh, after all the other ones. Somebody speaking up there? Did I miss something? No, I was just going to point out this is the first time we see the Talon, right? It is, yeah. Uh, that is the name of the assassin, the Talon. Uh, we see the Talon crash into a car below, apparently killing him. Batman is safe, well, Bruce Wayne is safe on one of the Guardians, the, the gargoyles up on Wayne Tower. And we see the paramedics taking the body away, of the, the Talon's body away. We see him wake up in the ambulance, kill the paramedics, and then steal the ambulance. So, what do you guys think of the Talon? At this point in the story? Just like what he looks like as, a, as like, you know, a comic book villain. So, have you guys <laughs> read or seen the movie Watchmen? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there is an owl guy in Watchmen. They don't look dissimilar. No, they look similar. Yeah. Does I mean, I think he looks kind of dumb. Like he's got that little beak in the middle of his goggles. Yeah. I don't know. It just it looks pretty dumb to me. I, I think that that's okay. You know, I think it's okay to think that he looks dumb because one of the things I like later in the story is the way that when Batman finally gets his groove back, he kind of just tears him apart verbally. And if he would have just interjected in there and your beak is stupid, I think that that would have fit with, yeah. Uh, yeah, the ending of that particular <laughs> issue. That would have been cool. They missed, well, I, they missed an I opportunity I think the beak there. also refers to, like, that old, uh, that old, uh, what are those mortuary guys who always had to uh, use the chemicals to embalm the bodies? Are you talking about, like, uh, the doctors from, yes. like, mm -hmm. the, the Renaissance period <clears throat> mm -hmm. with the long because, beaks? Yeah, so, th again, there's a lot of, I think, I think what you'll find with these modern stories is they're really well researched and I think mm -hmm. Oh yeah. There's these small little references everywhere, including this beak, right? It's part of the design. They thought smartly about the design of the character and how it refers to that death yeah. part and how it integrates with the owl costume. It's like a it's like a double 
yeah, it's a reference back to the the alchemists that would uh, sell medicine back in like the 1400s or the 1500s, uh, and they they wore that long doctor's beak is what that that that's how they were uh, identified in public was with that long beak mask, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, ho- I hope they thought a lot about it because at some points it just seems like they thought, "What kills bats? Oh, owls kill bats." They had Let's to research make it all that. about owls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of owl facts. I don't know if you uh, are ready for an owl quiz. <laughs> are, do you have an owl quiz for us? <laughs> what? I wish, right? I oh. researched some about owls. I think we're going to talk about that in a minute. But... Will you give us an owl quiz? Yes, I can give you an owl quiz. Maybe that should be one of our segments. Every episode is somebody owl has a quiz, quiz. prepared. <laughs> it's always an owl quiz, no matter what we're reading. <laughs> it's more facts about owls. <laughs> we're just going to start obsessing over owls. No, it starts with this episode, but from now on, whoever wins is the owl. Professor Owl for the day. <laughs> <laughs> so Professor Owl is a title that someone gets each week and yeah. then provides a quiz for everybody else. Yeah. No, the winner is Professor Owl. Right. But they have to prepare the next quiz. Oh, I got it. For everybody <laughs> else, good, right? I'm game. Yeah, it's it's like winning a game of pool. You break. Cool. <laughs> okay, Batman number three. We open to a scene in 1922 where Alan, Rain, Alan Wayne is running like a crazy person, screaming, They're after me! And going on about nests in his home. He appears crazy, and then he somehow falls down a manhole while the police are discussing what to do. Anybody best, have any comments on that? Best cops ever. Yeah, right? Hey, what should we do here? I don't know. What happened to the guy? Did he fall or did he jump? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily like this part of the story, going back to previous generations of the Wayne family and having it all interconnected. I mean, this, this whole Court of Owls thing that we're getting to here, it just is this very sort of, oh, the Illuminati are behind it all. You know, yes. there's like this secret group controlling everything that Batman never knew about before. Um I don't know. I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't work for me. And this sort of connection to the previous generations of the Wayne family, uh, and especially that dumb opening comment. I love killing Waynes. Um, it just. I, I don't know. That part of the story doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I think it just. Well, again, it speaks to the uh, speaks to what's popular right now, right? I mean, look at all the television shows and just Google Illuminati, and you can pick like a music artist, a writer, well, an actor. It's chemtrails are real man that idea though of like an illuminati uh, what the hell <laughs> somebody say it for me illuminati <laughs> illuminati <laughs> illuminati <laughs> is that i mean this whole thing with gotham city like the whole place is uh run down it's like detroit right but Parts there's all it, these yeah. rich people and pretty much all they do is have balls and talk about how they'd love to make gotham great you know <laughs> to me like it's just this like total separated class. It's like the worst income inequality situation. You've got these rich people who want to save the day and they're the only ones that can fix it, you know? It's these rich people who keep having balls and, <laughs> and Bruce Wayne. And then the counter idea to that is like an evil group. So he's like the guy that's in charge that has always been in charge for generations, but he's benevolent. Well, now there's another one that's evil and they've always been in charge and it's just, I think in Batman, there's this society that is I, I basically that, two different classes, and you just I got feel the like one of the things they, they missed out on was the chance to really connect the people that are in the Court of Owls to that society that Bruce Wayne is a part of. Mm-hmm. They didn't really directly link the two things. Like, yeah. he should be crossing paths with these people oh, yeah. at some point and not know it. 
Yeah. And, and they didn't really do much to kind of like uh, even imply that or, or, or set up any... anything about yeah. the reveal later. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that was a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I think as far as the uh, the sort of like Illuminati thing goes and and it being not believable as far as it just like happening to connect back to the Waynes, I, 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 I don't know. Like I I'm, I'm, I'm able to kind of like believe that in this story because it's a different Gotham universe. So the things I knew about Gotham from previous Batman comics, I feel like I don't have to believe any of that anymore. Uh, I don't have to, I can, I don't have to like not believe that this could happen based on what I know from previous Batman comics at the very least, because they've relaunched it as a new 52, which is kind of cheating, but still they're asking us to go on this ride. I'm willing to go on the ride with them. Sure. So I don't know. I, I think the thing that is also really important about it is that the, the fact that they're out there, is something that he is disbelieving through almost the entire book. Batman is denying yeah. their their existence. Even when people are like, what if this is real, dude? He's like, they're not. I looked into it. They're not. <laughs> and the explanation to when he looked into it is pretty... Um, it just kind of like illuminates how uh, full of himself he is. That it's like flawed. something that he investigated yeah. as a child... Is is like said and done, you know? Like case closed. I was ten, I looked into it. I checked a room there. out in a building. Yeah. And nope. then I fell asleep for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I don't know. I found this story of him being a kid, and I guess we'll get to this, being pretty effective and looking for it. I mean, I took it to mean that look, I've got my hand on the pulse of this city. I'm fighting these villains, you know, day in, day out week after week, and I haven't heard anything about the Court of Owls, yeah. you know? It, it just doesn't seem likely. And, I mean, that, that made sense to me. But I think okay. that another explanation for that is that he's fighting the Joker and the Riddler and the Penguin, and they're not there. They're not in the Illuminati. They're not in the Court of Owls. True. None of the people that they cross paths with are part of this, like, privileged secret society that's controlling things from behind the scenes. So he hasn't crossed paths with anyone. He only crossed paths with them when his uh, behavior is going to directly affect them. And that that turns out to be apparently rebuilding the city mm-hmm. in a way that benefits him, not them. So I, yeah. I think that that's the explanation that we're supposed to take and accept. That's why they came out of the woodwork. Yeah. Because yeah, he's I'll, successful now, he's gonna well, extremely successful. He's killed off all the his arch enemies in the city. He's gonna rebuild the city. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that the rebuilding the city we're supposed to take that as the part that's the most meaningful as far as their involvement goes. That by taking the narrows and rebuilding it up into a bunch of like you know future skyscrapers and getting rid of the parts of the town that are super poor. That that sort of like uh, the the effort to bring up the lower class is something that they would be against in some way mm-hmm. or they have a utility in those areas that they don't want him to take away from them you know something yeah. along those lines up until then all he's been doing is reversing the wrongs of other criminals well isn't this i mean again it's a lot of parallels with modern society right isn't this like an allegory for the one percent yes no yeah this i mean he's the one percent they're he the one percent. He's the benevolent one percent. They're the evil one percent right. that just want to protect their yes. right. their position. And they mention his uh, his ignorance later. They'll say, "Well, uh, you know, like, oh, did you hear about Bruce Wayne's plan to rebuild the city? Oh, well, he doesn't know what it's like to be one of us down here." You know, so they yeah. make mention of it quite often. They know he's the one percent, and yeah. you know they're not like they're not fully accepting his help either. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so moving on, they they cuts to current day where Batman is beating up a Ukrainian gang in the uh, was the subway tunnels. Yeah, uh, they're called the Whisper Gang. He's trying to extract information out of them about how the Talon got into Old Wayne Tower because it's the only way he can figure that the Talon got into Wayne Tower was through those tunnels, and they're the ones that control it. So he's beating the crap out of them, kind of has his way with them. Um, I, I liked this scene. I, I thought it was yeah. a cool way of showing Batman's uh, ingenuity in a in a fight against a big crowd. You know. Um, just the way that he manhandled them and then used the magnet to like cause all of their face masks to get stuck to the side of a subway train. Imagine um, what happened to them after that. Ugh. Yeah, I know, right? It was prob- he, Batman doesn't kill people except for when he doesn't see them die, apparently. <laughs> right, yeah. Off, off, off panel is fine. <laughs> they just like ground a hamburger. Yeah, just, just completely Nasty. shredded against some wall or something that the subway has <laughs> just enough room to get through in a tunnel somewhere. Uh, so they're no help, obviously. The Talon doesn't know the Whisper Gang. Uh, and then it cuts to Bruce and Alfred in the cave discussing the assassin again, discussing Alan Wayne. Dude. And I noticed, I don't know, did you guys notice the back computer has bad ears? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just seeing that now. It totally does. So yeah. I was thinking He's about that towers. point you made, Scott, that like this is like a super more serious version of Batman, but it's not entirely. There's yeah. still some cartoony stuff in here, and I think yeah. this is one of those things. This is one of those touches that kind of like brings it back to, um, you know, like 1960s Batman television show or something like that. Like there's still <laughs> exactly like I, I know in later uh, volumes at least Commissioner Gordon refers to the car as the Batmobile. Probably yeah. other people do too. So like it's not like they've just ejected all the bat. Um, like sir adjectives from the the comic like you would expect in a super serious take on Batman like they did in the uh, the Christopher Nolan movies uh, you know they didn't ever call yeah. the tumbler the Batmobile there or anything like that the right. only thing that was bat anything was Batman um, yeah. which is like the it's most purely aesthetic bat yes. stuff accents yeah. bat accents right yeah. dude this scene here where he references that research dude I totally looked into that and it's totally real that's <laughs> like, awesome like in, in 2010 there was some research in Germany, just mm-hmm. like Alfred mentions, mm-hmm. that like bats use the direction of the sunset to just calibrate their um, kind of compass, their internal compass, so that every day they don't like propagate air because their compass is probably based on like relative senses. But like, dude, it's totally referenced right here. And this was like in 2012 when they wrote this. And his research coming out in 2010. So yeah, like yeah, Brian, to your point, it's totally really well researched. Like it was a really good comment by him too. I wonder how much of that is Scott Snyder just being an owl, like, obsessionist, or how much of it was just, like, this fit the narrative and he looked into it, you know? Yeah. Either way, it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that happens. The back computer has ears. We cut to Bruce Wayne visiting Lincoln in the hospital because he also was beat up pretty bad by the Talon in Wayne Tower. Uh, He explains a threat that he recently got in his closet. It was an owl with a little pile of bones beneath it. He mentions that he was getting threats to drop out of the mayoral campaign. Uh, then cuts to Batman flying his glider over Gotham City to investigate secret 13th floors in a bunch of buildings that Alan Wayne's trust for assisting young architects helped. So we see sort of like a little montage of him finding talon nests in the 13th floor of pretty much all of these buildings, it seems like it's implied. Uh, and then a bomb goes off, and then we cut to issue four. Uh, we see that Batman has tripped a explosive wire, and we basically just see him trying to avoid explosions and debris from the building collapsing around him. Jumps out of the building, grapples to safety, and then it cuts to Bruce and Dick talking in the Batcave. We have a lot of these cuts to the Batcave with, like, you know, the exposition and, and the discussions between them. I didn't really notice it until I was trying to summarize the whole story, just how often they cut back to the Batcave for the talking head portion of the comic. Um, but we get another one of those. 
Uh, Dick starts warning Bruce he's not being careful enough, that he might be outmatched. Bruce continues to deny the existence of the Court of Owls and then explains, he gives the backstory about how when he was a child, he tried to connect the uh, the Joe Kill murder of his parents to the Court of Owls because it was a nursery rhyme or a, a fable at the time in Gotham that this court existed. Uh, he looks into it and doesn't find anything. He finds an empty, dusty room and the cries himself into a coma. Uh, well, yeah, he gets, gets he gets trapped up there, and so he nearly starves to death. Yeah. I mean, I, I just thought that was pretty effective. I mean, it's showing sort of the vulnerability of, of Bruce Wayne, who may believe in himself uh, quite heavily, but uh, it only takes him so far, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's foreshadowing for the rest of this, but it just was very affecting to me. I mean, it seemed like what would happen if, as a child, you went out to investigate anything. You have, yeah. you have a certainty that you hear about this stuff and think that it must be connected because everything in your life, you know, I, I think so many people believe that everything in their lives has some sort of connection or some sort of deeper meaning that things don't happen randomly, and it, especially children. And so it, it just this all rang very true for me. Uh, including the nearly grisly end that he met, uh, starving mm-hmm. to death in an attic. Yeah. Did that happen to you? Uh, he, he mentions that this experience was what taught him, he says the, the lesson that he built his dis- detective skills on, which is never let your emotions guide you on a case, which we kind of mentioned earlier that that's kind of been one of the things that guides his behavior whenever he's investigating things. The fact that he wouldn't divulge all the information he had to Dick when he's talking with him about the, the DNA that they found under the, the John Doe's fingernails. Uh, I think that that calls back to that. Um, we then see Bruce go to the sewers to follow up on another lead. He then gets ambushed by the Talon and falls into the labyrinth of the Court of Owls, and that is the end of issue four. Uh, yeah, going back to the, uh, the not being emotional, I think he's overcompensating a lot and i think it's i think he's still being emotional mm-hmm. it's like i'm not i'm not mad you know it's like saying that out loud mm-hmm. um i think that's a pretty common theme for batman you know the fact that he's um keeping all the anger and the depression repressed and and we see that burst out every now and then um and and especially in the good batman stories we see that as one of the things that drives and affects him and is oftentimes one of the one of his weaknesses is that he is repressing so much of the the pain that he carries with him um so yeah i, I think that that's correct that it's one of the things that he is he's repressing it is that what you're trying to say brian yeah i mean he's well he's overcompensating for trying to be uh unemotional by being emotionally like mm-hmm. he's it's like a it's like a constant struggle for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he is not uh, unemotional. I think by him just trying to be non-emotional, he is being emotional. Yeah. And I don't think he realizes it a lot. <clears throat> yeah. When we uh, we move on to Batman 5, uh, we see basically shots of everybody that would be looking for Batman. Looking for Batman or waiting for Batman. Batman's missing. No one's happy. Harvey Bullock <laughs> is worried that Siggy the Bat Signal is going to die. Um, we cut to Batman. He looks really beat up already. We've been told that he's been hiding in the shadows of the labyrinth apparently for eight days. That's how long they say everybody's been waiting for him to come back. Uh, a light turns on, and there's a giant owl fountain. Like, you know, it's spitting out water. Bruce Wayne's right in front of it. Batman's right in front of it. He mentions that he knows the water is probably drugged, but he drinks it anyway because he's so thirsty. And that's when we start to see him hallucinate. We start to see, like, a really wavy, weird, distorted version of his cowl reflecting in the water. Um, and that, I think, informs a lot of what happens over the next two issues. we got to keep in mind that he's hallucinating through this whole thing. 
Uh, he keeps moving from room to room in the labyrinth in the darkness. Every time he moves, they turn a super bright light onto him whenever he gets to a new part of the labyrinth, even though it looks like he thinks he's sneaking. Uh, they're telling him a story from room to room. He sees photos of people that have died in the labyrinth. He sees a camera that was used to take a lot of those photos, maybe all of those photos. It looks like he maybe hallucinates members of the court at the end of a hall. He tries to attack them. Nothing happens. We see the Talon trailing him in that in that scene. Uh, he kind of continues through the labyrinth. At this point, I'm curious. I was reading this on Comixology. Yeah, dude. Did it happen to you too, where the, yeah. the pages started turning ninety degrees? Yeah, yeah. Every couple pages, and then it went upside down. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was on purpose. Yeah, yeah okay. so I, re- I really liked it. I just I wanted to make sure, because it wouldn't be the first time that I've read a digital comic that just messed up the <laughs> orientation of the comic <laughs> page. No. It just started getting the, wacky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have the floppy version. It definitely did that. Awesome, awesome. And it was really cool to turn my whole book around. Yeah, yeah right. I assumed that that was the case. Uh, but I just wanted to make sure that we were effect. all on the same page with that. Yeah, it was cool. So I mean, like we're seeing we're seeing multiple effects show us just how out of his mind he is during this whole experience. He finds a room uh, full of coffins, and they all have photos of children on them. It's apparent that the children have been trained to be talents. There's one that's still open. He goes into another room lined with pictures, and the camera's been moved into that room. He focuses on the camera. We see him slip away into the shadows, his reflections in the camera lens. We see eggs dropping on the ground, and then all of a sudden, their parents, his parents are there, but they're really old. We see his cape starting to turn into, like, it looks really feathery, like an actual bat or maybe even an owl. Um, I don't know, did you guys perceive that as an owl or, or a bat? What? Curious. If you look at his cape in that scene where he's hugging his parents, it starts to get really ragged, and it, and it looks like feathers more so than a cape. Hold on, let me let me take a look. For a second. Um, I don't. I don't think it looks feathery. No. I, mean, I think it's just artistic license, right? There's a lot of action happening, right? Well, I think one of the things is as Batman is progressing through this experience, he gets more and more monstrous, and at times the the form that his his body is taking appears to be more like you know like a bat monster. And I feel like at times it's sort of almost a hybrid of the owl and bat monster, um, especially yeah. on the cover yeah. of, of issue six, I believe. Well, funny enough, this looks a lot like Spawn versus Batman. <laughs> <laughs> because Spawn's cape ten, uh, was alive. That right? is true. I mean, yeah. Of course it was. And so, so when I saw this, I was like, oh, cool. They're kind of maybe referencing a little oh, bit. Oh, you feel like they were tying this back to Spawn and Batman? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like, his his whole costume is part of him, right? It's becoming alive. Spawns? No, Batman. In this oh, part yeah, in this, of what he's yeah. losing his mind. I really don't think it has anything to do with the Spawn-Batman crossover from 20 years ago, though. I, I, don't, I, I mean, I don't think it's deliberate, but I Kyle, think it's that his costume's What if it was, alive. though? I think... <laughs> Kyle, I think you're totally on to something, not to uh-huh. sidetrack from what Brian, the thread Brian's on, but, like, if you look at the one at the end of this issue, the little picture of him... Gra- grappling with talon Mm -hmm. the talon you could see that batman's hands are actually like a bird's claws yes and that his little the spikes on his wrist are like feathers yes so i think you're totally right that he's like turning into a feathered beast yeah one of us one of us exactly Mm -hmm. he's a crab he's a crab people now he's a crab person (laughs) in gotham crabs are actually owls so, I, I think on Brian's point, I think rather than it being a reference to 20 years ago, I think it's that all great comics are heading toward a singularity. Uh, so, you can is see that them going to Is it going to involve Spawn, a, a massive Spawn crossover with everyone? Obviously. Oh, man. I, you know, if we ever did a Spawn story, I would have no idea where to even start. 
Who would care? I don't know. Start and with Spawn number one. (laughs) We could, yeah. I I just feel like Spawn is one of those things where if we went back to it and read it now, we would have so much to say. I I just feel like it would be like, as as the 1979 Demon in a Bottle story was to today, I feel like Spawn, even though it was like 15 years after Demon in a Bottle, would still have as much to say about it just being ridiculous, you know? Oh, absolutely. I I hope we read some very 90s, 90s comics. Oh, we really need to. It's it's really hard to avoid. I I don't want to go and read X-Men just because I feel like I would be stepping on the toes of another podcast I listen to. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like that's the best place to be. Like, if you want to have that kind of discussion. Well, just drop in for some Cable X-Force story, you know, (laughs) and then jump out again. Oh, God. I don't know if I can do it. Okay, so we see where we at. Batman gives his parents a hug. Uh, their jaws start to distend. The owls start popping out of their mouths and they start tearing at Batman's suit and his skin. By the way, this is the part where the panels are now upside down. We've turned 90 degrees twice at this point. He tells himself it's not real, then finds himself just back at the fountain. Uh, we see him pulling up a floor tile, taunting the owls, sliding through it, finds himself back in another camera photo room. We see the Talon sneaking up behind him, and then the next thing we see is Batman getting stabbed from behind by the Talon, the blade exiting his abdomen. So it totally looks like Batman is finished here. I don't know. What, how did you guys take this? Did it look like Batman was done? Yeah, I mean, he was drugged, and then he got stabbed through the abdomen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like his intestines are coming out, which is never a good thing. Right. Especially when you're nowhere near anybody that can help you. Um, that quickly cuts to the last page we hey, see. guys. Guys. Hey. Where's yeah. that blade coming from? That's coming from the the talon. It's like his knife or his long his sword, his short sword or his Where long exactly knife. Where exactly is that though? Are you suggesting is a sword penis? Is that what's yes, going on here? That's yeah. exactly what I'm suggesting. Okay, I Maybe agree, Todd. Maybe I that's picking that. up what I'm putting down. Maybe that's what the talon actually is. <laughs> it's a little high to be a penis, isn't it? Maybe it's a really long one that can aim up. He's got a good good control over that. <laughs> He's done his keggles. Does it look like he's also holding uh, Batman's hand while he's doing it? It seems seems more tender. And he's looking in his eyes. It's totally one of those moments. He's trying to. Is he whispering in his ear? I'm doing this gently. He's he's biting his ear. Mm -hmm. Oh, just nibbling a little bit. Well, we quickly cut to a scene (laughs) of Siggy the Bat Signal catching fire and breaking, which seems to mirror the end of Batman. Uh, And then we see Robin, the real Robin, meaning Damian Wayne, insisting very uh, vehemently that they get a new one right now. (laughs) Now, I said now! That's basically it, yeah. And then the issue ends. Now, please. We move on to Batman 6. We see that uh, the Talon and the Court have been toying with Batman, uh, hurting him rather than just finishing him off. He asks the court, the Talon asks the court, what should I do with him? And they say, let's let the littlest decide. And so a little girl holding like a teddy bear or something. Was it a teddy bear? Or was it a stuffed owl? Or I don't even remember now. What um, the fuck is up with these people? I don't know. Doll. They're owl people? What is They going wear on? owl masks. They're not owl people. Okay. Well, no, I guess they're looking like that because that's how Batman's seen them. Okay. Yeah, when, when they look like actual owls, that's his hallucination. Yeah, okay. When they yes. look like people wearing blank masks, that's real. That's, gotcha. that's the way they actually look. Uh, but anyway, they let the little girl decide what, whether they're going to finish him off or not, and she says, hurt him more! And so he continues to beat him up for a while. Uh, it looks like at parts, or at certain times, the entire court kind of like dog piles on him and is beating him up. Um, Batman reflects on Alan Wayne's scared, begging face. It looks like a picture of that has just fallen next to him. And we almost have, like, I, I consider this a Spider-Man moment. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but there's this, like, class, there's these classic scenes of Spider-Man where Spider-Man is, like, buried under concrete or whatever, and he just, like, is, like, thinking about all the people in his life that he can't let, like, um, disappoint. Yeah. 
Mary Jane, you know, Strength Aunt May. Yeah. yeah, and so he's just like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then he just explodes in the concrete, you know, like goes flying or whatever, and Spider-Man like draws all this strength out from within. So this was a Spider-Man moment for me in Batman, where Batman is just, enough! And we see him turn into a giant monster Batman and scattering all the tiny little owl people who are like the size of his toes at this point. Batman starts just beating on the Talon. I wrote down in my notes, he's giving him the business, and I know you know what that means, Todd. I do. And he looks monstrous while doing so. Uh, and while he's doing this, while he's just beating the crap out of this guy, he criticizes their model of the city as just being an arts and crafts project. He disses the Talon. He tells him that he's not special. This is the point where I think he should have told him that his beak is stupid. <laughs> yeah, what a fit. Exactly. I really enjoyed this scene. I just like seeing Batman just, just, this is this very cathartic moment of just like tearing him down both verbally, emotionally, and physically. Yeah. It was really cool to see him just kind of like come forward out of nowhere, do this. But again, it's kind of like, it, it, it raises that question as to like how human is Batman because we've seen him take on all those villains in the past. Uh, you know, in, in the first issue, he takes on all his entire rogues gallery almost. Uh, and now he's coming back from the brink of death to just own this guy. It yeah. seems a little bit unbelievable, but if we're already suspending our disbelief, I guess we just roll with it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Brian? I say we roll with it. <laughs> I don't know. Is, did we lose the, Brian? I mean, how do you say... No, it's here. like you're we're in this position to try to defend what happened here, but clearly it's just one of these, you know... Uh, what's that guy's name from Lion-O? It's a Lion-O moment, you know? Like, he had this power within him the whole time. He just never tapped into it. And then his back is fully against the wall. He throws on the Lion-O glove, and boom, he's, like, ten times more powerful than the enemy. Like, so, why didn't you do that ahead of time? You had to, like, let yourself fall. I guess he was so arrogant or, like, who knows what. He just never tapped into that raw, visceral hatred and, and fierceness that would have overtaken the talent. And finally so, he does. So do you buy that as, like, a, a realistic take on what happens within no. these, this Batman universe? It's totally dumb. Well, within the... I don't really understand the universe. Like, maybe if this is part of it, that he has these lion-o moments where it's like... Like I said, he gets his back against the wall and finally he taps into the strength that he always had. It's hard um, to say because they're basically starting us from scratch with this particular So I guess that's line. what he is, you know? Like, he has that within him. Yeah. And he, I mean, like we said, he, he was definitely at a height. You know, he was at a, the moment of pride where he just thought he was invincible, he was rebuilding the city, everything was great. Then he bottomed out, and so he's, like, re-tapped into the, the strength that he really had in the first place, but he was yeah, too maybe. I, to I just happened to. I know when I read this, I had a really hard time dealing with the fact that he just got gutted. Mm-hmm. And now right. he's doing this. I kept going back and looking at the panels over and over again, trying to analyze every panel to Did see if there's still that? blood there. Yeah. Or if it was a hallucination, yeah. No, I mean, no, and that's real. That's what I was grappling with was whether or not this stabbing, that him being impaled from behind, was <laughs> part of a hallucination and it was just a scratch, or whether or not he really got stabbed like that. Because I mean, he should be bleeding out at that point. Or, or this guy happened to stab him so far off to the side in a non-vital area that it's bad, but it's not fatal bad. You know. Yeah. Well, somebody said they were toying with him, so of course they wouldn't stab him in a vital location. Maybe, yeah, but I mean, with that big of a wound in both like your your abdomen and your back, I would think that that would be pretty problematic. So I had a hard time with this myself. Uh, maybe it's but, the uh, doped up water that just sent him to a, one of these PCP rages. Maybe that's know? it. You know, <laughs> I'm willing to accept that. Rage. Yeah, the the yeah. drugs did it. <laughs> the drugs did. It. Uh, He's on the Nancy Reagan stuff. <laughs> 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 um. <laughs> 
So anyway, uh, we see him punch the Talon out, basically through a wall. Uh, and then we see him with the potassium chlorate plate he stole out of the camera that was in the uh, the photo room. <laughs> he explains that he, he snuck it out of there, and he uses it to create an explosion in the floor. This Slips seems like totally Batman, by the way. Yeah, this seems like a very yeah. Batman moment. You're right. Yeah. This is the first part where it's like, okay, yeah, Batman would do this. <laughs> yeah. I could see this happening in any version of Batman I've seen in the <laughs> yeah. past. Uh, and he basically slips into an underground river tries to get out of the water and we see that the river or the lake that it's emptied into is frozen over and then we just see Batman sinking to the bottom of the the water uh, presumably dying uh, then it cuts to the court uh, talking about how thrilling the gladiatorial show was and deciding to dispose of the current talent rather than resurrect another um, and I believe then they just kind of like say hey we're gonna go no 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 that's the end of the next issue so the, well, they say they're going to wake all of the other ones up. So Did now we're that there. Yeah, now we're going to yeah. go from one talent to I don't know at least twenty, which yeah. I'm sure will be much less effective than the one because the rule of ninjas, right? Yes, always. <laughs> How many times? I hope this gets mentioned every podcast. I hope it, that it, we find out that this is a secret theme in comic books. It's it's the one rule that always applies in comic books, mm-hmm. except. Usually in a... Well, we should go to some Daredevil at some point because there's no better place to find ninjas than a Daredevil comic. Absolutely. Except for maybe Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, there's certain Wolverine stories where the ninjas are hot and heavy. There's no doubt. Wolverine's like the hands, like Class B enemy. They they usually go after uh, Daredevil if possible, but if they can't find him, then they'll settle for Wolverine. Which is funny because the hand is very much kind of a Class B enemy for Wolverine, too. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He just cuts through them and they turn to dust constantly. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Over and over. Although there is that story where they basically kill him and resurrect him as uh, one of their own. No. You've read that one. Uh, I don't Enemy know. Enemy of the State. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good God. Everybody yeah. loves it. It's Wolverine versus the Marvel Universe, essentially. I think I, you and I read it around the same time, yeah. and then we also read the one where it's Wolverine Get Mystique, and we liked that so much more. Oh, it, are you guys are having so a Todd and Kyle moment here? Yeah, right. Is that okay? Can we have a Todd and Kyle moment every now and then? <laughs> we're, we're gonna can we be a war. Can we be like you, know, needs, we, you can have it, but there has to be some special theme music. <laughs> you got a bookend it with some theme music. All right, we'll do that. We'll come up with some. We'll have to. We'll have to have different theme music for whatever pairing of people starts geeking out together on this podcast going forward. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. So the moment you and Todd start talking about Mexico or whatever from right. Alpha Class. Batman 7, we see Batman being brought back to life by Harper Rowe, who is a completely unexplained character <laughs> down in the, the Narrows using ghetto defibrillation. She apparently, it looks like she's hooked a car battery to yes. his chest. Yeah. Who is and this woman? Somehow, she, yeah. Do you know her? I do, because okay. I've read more Batman, but apparently, I, I actually looked it up. This is her first appearance. So, as a reader at the time, you had no idea who this girl was. Like, (laughs) none. (laughs) Um, She does turn into a meaningful character in the Bat universe, but at this point, it's just completely inexplicable. Like, they they imply that he knows who she is, because he tells her to leave. He's already told her to leave him alone, and he meant it. And he just kind of, like, you know, storms off, completely ungrateful, uh, to the point that she got him out from under this ice he was going to die under, and then still brought him back to life with the car battery she had, which apparently works just as well as any defibrillation device. Yeah. Well, you knew that she had to be a recurring character, because she has a name. Yes. I mean, they wouldn't have mentioned her name otherwise. I don't even think they mentioned the last name. They just mentioned Harper. Yeah. Uh, but I happened to... Well, I looked it up, and also I've read the comics where she shows up later, so I knew it was Harper yeah. Rowe. If you read uh, the next volume... She more Brian cheated. He went ahead. Oh, okay. Went ahead. Um. So yeah. 
but we won't we won't go into that yet. Uh, we see the court reviving a new Talon with IVs. We see gratuitous nipple panels and some really nasty veins. Bruce then arrives at the Batcave's high security back door. That's what I wrote here. High security back door it was really just like a thin wire gate with a like, trespassing sign on it, and Alfred there with a oh, shotgun. Oh yeah, Batman's back door. <laughs> We're going to have a backdoor joke in every comment or every issue. <laughs> we already had one. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was Iron Man. Yeah. No, we already had one in this one with the knifing from yeah. behind. That's true. So we've already hit our quota. We're... No more of those, Brian. <laughs> we have to have one additional one per podcast. Oh, we're just going to keep 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 pace with the numbering of the podcast. Yeah. So there's got to be three next time. Okay. You had zero yes. in our zero episode, right? Good. Okay. Oh, well, then, hey. That checks out. Uh, so anyway, Alfred helps Batman inside. Uh, he freaks out when he sees the dead Talon he just fought uh, standing in the Batcave. He's basically uh, tied up to a, I don't know, it looked like a cart of some sort like that you would transport a refrigerator on. And then we see Bruce and Dick talking about how the Talons are prepared to reanimate uh, way ahead of time. They have a substance called Electrum stored in their tooth. That's the thing that looks like a tiny owl. Uh, it seeps into their cells over the years, basically preparing them for reanimation. Uh, he reveals that the John Doe was the trainer for the Talons. So he was basically, yeah, the, the Mickey to their Rocky. Uh, Bruce then explains that cold keeps them from completely reanimating, which is how he's keeping him from doing so right now. Uh, mentions his name, mentions that he's Dick's great-grandfather. Dick then berates Bruce for keeping secrets, and Bruce then punches Dick's owl tooth out of his own mouth, because apparently Dick was chosen from by the Talons to be a Talon, uh, he was chosen by the Owls to be a Talon later on in his life, uh, and he explains that the court would choose Talons from Haley's Circus, the circus that Dick was part of, each decade. Uh, they kind of talk about how this whole process was messed up by Dick's parents dying, and then Batman basically adopting him and keeping him as his ward. Bruce so now, seems... did he save Dick Grayson from becoming one by punching his tooth out? Was that the spark to light the wire? No, was no. Was that in the tooth? Or is after it Dick is in Grayson? the tooth. I don't think that they've... No, it's the, over the years of being absorbed. Yeah, so we don't know whether or not he's absorbed enough at this point um, to still reanimate. But also, he... I mean, maybe they could bring him back as an owl in the future. They don't really explain that at all. Okay. Um, we could speculate on it. But I think that the the main thing was just that the, the Talons, the owls were going to kidnap the children. You know, like take them at a very early age to train them as Talons early on. I believe that's what the, the trainer's job was, right? And so Dick, his his whole, that whole process of being taken and transformed didn't occur the way it was supposed to. The only <laughs> thing that occurred was that they had put the, the Electrum in his molar that would allow him to reanimate later. Yeah. That's how I took it. This was kind of yep. the only thing that I found so disbelieving that he was able to land a side punch that hit the exact tooth that he needed to hit. Oh no! This is one of those. Surgical this is Batman position, man. This is Batman. Batman knows how to hit a person. He knows how to hit a person to do a thing. He's got a goal in mind, goal-oriented behavior. That's Batman. That's right. I don't know. Todd, is that Batman to you? Uh, uh, this was not a problem uh, for me with suspension of disbelief. <laughs> I believe that he could do this. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, this, is, this is animated series Batman, man. This is this is totally Batman being like, yo, if I want to punch that tooth out, I know exactly how to hit you. Not to mention Robin was like, just cr- or Robin, uh, Dick was just craning his mouth open all the way so you could see the tooth because he was screaming at him. Yeah, I had no problem with suspension and disbelief in this particular moment. Uh, but anyway, so Bruce seems completely defeated at this point, emotionally defeated by how ingrained the court seems to be into the city, calls Gotham a city of owls, then Dick kind of brings him back to Earth by saying, they're just another bad guy, but a little gray around the temples is all. 
He admits that Bruce underestimated them, but denies that they are Gotham City. It kind of wraps it back around to that very first issue with that question, Gotham is. He denies that Gotham is the Court of Owls, but then he also says, and neither are you, meaning that Gotham is not Batman either. Uh, the issue then ends with the court sending all their talons out, looks like dozens of them, to kill our enemy and take back our city. And at that point, the story ends, and we're left with a cliffhanger leading up to the next uh, next volume, which is the Night of the Owls. I mean, I'd like I'd like to hear what people think about uh, this set of villains, the Talon. I mean, do you think that this is a you know a good new villain? I you know, I just don't. I I wonder if there are any new Batman villains ever that really stand up against the old Rogues Gallery, or you know, if if uh, it just seems to me like they don't compare. But maybe that's just that because it, there's so much history with the others. I think that that's the thing. I think you just touched on the the thing that makes them meaningful is the history, because the Court of the Owls uh, seems. When I first read this, I, I felt the same way. Like, okay, it's just some new new group of villains to put them up against. The talent's just some new enemy to go up against, and who cares? You know, like, they're not the Joker. They're not any of the villains I care about. But then when they've shown up later in mm. this run of Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's Batman, it's like, oh, wow, they just brought it back, you know? And it suddenly it has that history, and it has that meaning. It's not as long of a history as something with, like, say, the Riddler or the Joker or the Penguin, but it's there now, you know? Mm. And now it's becoming more meaningful. I thought the exact same thing, like, ten years ago when they had Batman Hush, that was supposed oh, yeah. to be, it was like the super hyped Batman storyline, and I read Hush, and I was like kind of underwhelmed by it at the time, based on the amount of hype that it got, and the fact that Jim Lee was doing the, the pencils and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I read that, and I was like, okay, just some new villain, whatever, like they tried to tie it in with Batman's history and everything, and make it seem important. But then, like, it seems like later on, people are into Hush, you know, like all of a sudden, like, Hush has the kind of, like, reverence that someone like, you know, um... Zaz has or you know Killer Croc or any of the the guys that came out of like say the 80s you know yeah. um, they were probably meaningless at the time too but then they became part of the rogues gallery and became meaningful over time so I, I feel like that's what's going to happen or is already happening with Court of Owls but I think that your experience with reading this right now and, and, and that first pass uh, with them would definitely feel less impactful than if this had been a good Joker story right um, we've kind of already talked about oligarchy the fact that there's this like Illuminati uh, back behind the scenes. Uh, Scott, you had wrote in here, Generations, Family History, Legacy. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on about that? No, I just think, like to Todd's point about what makes this guy a legitimate enemy for Batman, like he is a contrast to Batman in the sense that he has the same kind of legacy that Batman has to the city. And he is, like Brian was saying, like the 1%, but the the evil side of it. Mm-hmm. You know, So he's kind of like the opposite of Batman. In some ways, has a longer family history there in a longer legacy uh but he's he's that type of enemy that reflects that side of batman the the oligarchy the 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 person who's in charge and has been for for generations and controls yeah. things so he's batman good... wants to control things too you know he's just a good guy about it well he wants to, to benefit the innocent people in gotham city but it's not like he's giving away his money you know He's well, he like, does though. I mean, like the whole the whole revitalizing Gotham is part of that. It's an investment, right? I mean, he's gonna stay rich. Bottom line, like that's Batman's not giving up his money. Well, you assume that's true. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Batman try to give up his money. So, but clearly, like this is a very like it's it's totally different from like how we would like to see the future like of our country and like what we saw in Iron Man, the idea of just capitalism and everybody being having ingenuity and making your own way this is all about legacy and having like generation upon a generation like guiding the future of a society or a city at least 
mm-hmm. you know and so like mm-hmm. the talon is like representative of the evil side of that a yeah group he's, a, he's a, a mirror to the charge. philosophy of batman or the or the yeah just the sort evil of ideological stance of batman yeah yep I think that also he's a good physical foil for Batman because he has sort of the same set of abilities. Like he's yeah, you know, obviously a good fighter, hand-to-hand combatant. Uh, he's very tough. Uh, and, and then he has one benefit over Batman being that he can recover, you know, very quickly. He's like, he has the, the healing factor that allows him to recover from just about anything. So, uh, it's a good villain for Batman to fight because you can't outclass Batman too much and expect just a fist fight in panels. You know, you can't have him go up against Dark Side or any of the Superman villains that you see Superman punching. And if you gotta have Batman punch somebody, it's gotta be somebody like this. Yeah. Um, we already touched on, oh, sorry, Todd, go ahead. No, no. I mean, I think one of the themes, and Scott touched on this a little bit earlier, I mean, I, I find, a, you know, interesting the sort of plan to revitalize the city. I mean, that's going to involve a lot of gentrification. And there are a lot of other issues I'm sure the comic's not going to touch on. But, I mean, any, in real life, if anyone did this, some rich, uh, you know, business exactly. owner in the city. I mean, yeah. you're you're forcing out, you've got a white guy coming in with a lot of money, forcing out probably people of different races who then will no exactly. longer be able to afford homes in the city and their traditional neighborhoods where they've you know have history and roots and all of that you know it's you know we're 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 led to see this all as a good thing but there certainly are uh negative sides to all of that as well you know i didn't really think about it like that i just kind of assumed that batman would find a way to benefit all those people too you know like try to find them jobs or try to try to make the the housing in the area very affordable but modern and, and safe, you know. I I assumed that that was the process, or that would be the goal of Bruce Wayne revitalizing those areas. But that's an assumption on my part. Sure, I don't right. explain that to you. Well, and I mean, even if he is, it's just a very. And I mean, this goes back to the Bat Dad uh, piece. It's just a very paternalistic way to operate. Mm-hmm. He thinks he knows what's best for the city. In exactly. a way, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's really, let's not Batman forget privilege way. Let's of not thinking. forget. That's kind of what he's it Batman. Is. So he's probably right. <laughs> it is his comic, so. <laughs> uh, we mentioned the fact that, um, Todd, you mentioned the fact that you didn't like the way Bruce was drawn, that he was drawn a little too young. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys feel like the art was through the rest of the comic? Brian? I think he got older. I think he got become more grizzled because of what he had gone through in the Labyrinth. You certainly look a lot older when you're beat to shit. Yeah. I mean, I thought on the whole, it looked. I thought the art throughout was quite good. Generally, I mean, I love the way Batman is I drawn too. too. It's yeah. just that that he just looked too young to me next to the Robins, which is uh, you know a small sort of caveat on uh, the art that was generally very good. I thought I really like the style. I feel like it's a good um, middle ground between the animated series, which is my favorite take on Batman, and. The, the the typical comic book portrayal of Batman in, in art form. Um, it was stylized in a way that was a little bit more simple than some of the more complex art that's come in the past, but it, it had a style to it that I feel like is very evocative of what's going on in the panel, um, of what emotions people are feeling. Just I love it. I, I love Greg Capullo's art. Um, I'm a huge fan, so I, I don't have really anything bad to say about it. Like I said, I've already... I've already accepted the fact that he looks younger than he should, even though that did stand out to me when I first started reading Batman four years ago. But I, I don't know. I love it. I feel like they do a great job of portraying all the subtlety you need out of a comic that requires subtlety uh, in addition to the, the bombastic overt moments. Mm-hmm. Any other comments on art? Okay. 
Do we feel like the book accomplished what it seemed to be trying to do? Well, I think it's got a cliffhanger on it, so I can't really completely answer that question, or it's not fair yet, maybe. What, what do you feel like... Let's two. answer this question first. What do you feel like the book is trying to do? Um, I think it is trying to... Well, like we said, it's, it, it sets up Bruce Wayne and Batman to be at this high where they're going to fall from. Um, it tries to set up like a pretty you know, formidable enemy or set of enemies. So I think it does that. Um, at least as a volume one, I, I'm not really sure where it goes. I think like that mayor guy, um, a couple of the characters, or at least the mayoral candidate, there's a couple other characters that don't seem to have a purpose in this mm-hmm. volume one. So maybe they kick off some in volume two, but, um, yeah, for, for what it seems to be, I think it does. I think it does a really good job. That's, I think that's what they're trying to do. You know, it's a serious attempt at a, at a real story. Yeah. Brian, what do you think it's trying to do or anything different than what Scott said? And do you think it's succeeding? I, I mean, yeah, I think it's. I think you can see the progression, right? It's the young, uh, young, clean-shaven Batman at the beginning, Bruce Wayne, you know, like of the animated series we're all fond of, and and at the end, it becomes this new Batman, this new, new, unsure, unsteady, uh, having gone through already a lot of psychological and physical trauma. Yeah, you see him having to doubt himself because not only was he physically incapable of standing up to the talent at times, but he was wrong about the court existing. Right. Yeah. So it definitely sets Batman up as fallible and mortal human. Todd, any other comments on what it's trying to do and whether it succeeds? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's all right. I think also it's a good introduction to Batman and who he is and who the main characters are. You know, I mean, you've got a little bit with Commissioner Gordon. You've got a little bit... um, you know, with the, the, the detective, I mean, you've got a, a little bit with everybody basically. And so I, I felt like it really did do a good job of setting up Batman's world. I don't know how many people came in that weren't previously reading Batman to start reading the new 52, but I think if they did, um, I think they got a good sort of grounding in the world. Yeah. Uh, judging from DC's sales figures over the last few years, probably not very many new people, yeah. but yeah, I, I agree. I think that this is a really good starting point for somebody getting into Batman comics, getting into just modern comics in general. I feel like this was a good choice for us to start you on, Scott, um, if you wanted a good first modern story to read. I feel like this was a good starting point. I think yeah. Batman's always a good starting point. Um, any good Batman story is a good place to start. And I'll say, I mean, it, you know, it's better than what you might see people doing. And I'm not sure if with the new 52, if they did this with any other titles, but you know, whenever you get somebody restarting, there is this tendency to retell the origin story. I mean, that yeah. always happens with Spider-Man. I mean, we've got to see Uncle Ben die over and over and over again. And th- this was a nice touch. I mean, in that way, I-, I didn't like that it went back through generations, but it was sort of nice to have them work in the killing of his parents in a way that seemed natural with this with this tale right to actually tie it directly to the narrative somehow right yeah to move yeah. forward instead of right. just rehashing the old it's or not a side trip anyway. like bat or like like, <laughs> right. like iron man's uh, <laughs> iron man daydream while he was just flying random. back for an entire yes yeah, right <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> our best example of the worst version of that particular comic oh, trope oh god <laughs> anyway yeah um, so let's just go around the table here. Uh, how did you enjoy the read, Scott? I enjoyed the read with uh, gusto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know, man. Like, I I liked reading that comic book, uh, the Iron Man one, a little bit more. Like, uh-huh. I looked a little bit forward to it. 
I uh-huh. think, because it was kind of silly, but it also had a little bit of a story. I don't know. This one, to me, I, we'll see about the other comic books, but like it tried to be a little bit too serious, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's still a guy in a bat outfit. So I'm sorry. Maybe that's sacrilegious to no, say not at all. to like, comic book fans, but it's like, no. it's trying to be really serious about the story and the characters. I'm glad you pointed out the little bat ears on the computer. Yes. But like, there wasn't as much of that kind of fun ridiculous flair that yeah. I enjoyed from the last one. So, I mean, it was okay. Um, I, I liked the parts that were more art, and I did like the, the psycho stuff that happened when he was, like, down in the maze in the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty... In, you know, you kind of got immersed in it. You know, yeah. it really pulled you in. It's, it's so a that very, part was really good. I enjoyed it's, that. It's a really good storytelling device that they use. Oh, yeah. 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 They had a couple of those. But the, through the middle of it and most of it, like, I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. As much as that as the Iron Man one, so you but enjoyed the it, end, but I got hooked. <clears throat> I got hooked at the end of it. There's something about the silliness of the the classic Silver Age yeah. sort of comic books that you yeah. enjoy. Yeah, I think exactly. I think that's true for a lot of people. I think that we're all going to enjoy some of the sillier stuff. And there are some certain contemporary comics that are still silly in a way, or still funny in a way, and aren't too self serious, but still use contemporary storing storytelling devices like this did. So yeah. there's probably going to be some comics out there that give you the best of both worlds. Nice. So I'm hoping I'm hoping you stick with us. I'm hoping that you find out that you're a huge comic book fan. Wow, I'm gonna keep reading them. Yeah, uh, Brian, did you enjoy the read? I did. I mean, it's it's you know I love modern stories like this. I love the complexity mm-hmm. to it. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the silliness, I guess, to, in mm-hmm. some respects, and I don't I don't really appreciate the older God, stories. I love that we have this like dichotomy between the two of you. <laughs> <laughs> Scott and I are. Yeah, I feel like I'm in the middle other. somewhere, and that's just great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I I love the modern story. I love how complicated and nuanced it is. Like, I'll find you know, like as I started to read the second book, I was like, holy crap, did they reference that and that in the first one? You know, so I thought it was really good. Awesome, Todd. Nine out of ten owls. Uh, no, I, <laughs> no, I, I, I agree. Uh, I, I'm somewhere in the middle too. I have, I can appreciate this story, uh, for what it is. I think, as we said, they hit all of the goals that they wanted to achieve with it. And so I think it's a success and I'm looking forward to reading the second half of it. Awesome. Yeah. No, I, I read this twice. I read it once. I, I've, I'm, I'm kind of, this is my strategy with this podcast is to read the volumes that we're reading once just for enjoyment and to not worry about analyzing it too much and then to go back through and make my notes on the second pass. And so whether or not I enjoyed it is just sort of my impression after reading that first pass. And I definitely enjoyed it. This is one of those comics that as I was reading it at night in bed, I would just keep reading. I couldn't stop and go to bed, you know? And I, that's a really good sign for a modern comic is that I can't stop reading. I want to read all the way to the end. I reached the end of issue seven and I was just like heartbroken that I couldn't go on or I felt like I would contaminate my ability to talk about the talk about the uh, the story on the podcast. So I'm really looking forward to moving on uh, to The City of Owls, which is Batman 8 through 12. And I believe Batman Annual number one is included in the trade. So we can read that if we want. Uh, I suppose we probably will, because I think some of you guys have gotten the trade, correct? Yes. 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 So we'll include Batman Annual one as part of our, our discussion on the next episode. But yeah, as far as the actual, uh, the actual read went, I, I definitely enjoyed it. 
Um, I see where it breaks down when I go back and analyze it. I see the the problems, but that's probably going to be true with just about anything. I think that was true when we went to go see Scott. I know I went to go see The Dark Knight in 2008 oh, yeah. with you, and we came out of that higher Amazing. than either of us had ever been together about a movie. Yep. And I went back and watched it again, and then you start to see where it breaks down and where there's plot holes and where like oh, really? you know, maybe this wasn't the strongest like plot device here or or whatever. And I feel mm. like that's going to be the case anytime we go and look at these comics and then analyze them. Um, but there's probably a few gems out there that would stand up to some scrutiny, but I doubt we're going to see very many. Hmm. Okay. Moving on. Do we have any favorite lines or moments from the story? I, mean, I do. I think, go ahead, Scott. You want me to go first? Yeah, please. Okay. Well, when he kind of turns the tables on the talent Batman yes. at the end yes. of the labyrinth and there's this one page, the whole page I love, but especially <laughs> the talent looks at him. He says, you dare. Batman says, Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, there's like a little side conversation there and then it says uh now it's my turn so take a look it's <laughs> <laughs> the one moment where you seem to get some of that silver age stuff you yes like. yes ex- yeah. this was the one page that gave it to me yeah there wasn't it. a lot of it so I was take kinda, a look <laughs> i was definitely looking for that stuff specifically uh but that one scene was kind of what stood out to me too yeah uh, the the part where he says it's not the real gotham it's an arts and crafts project I like that line. I thought that was kind of fun, you know? I liked it, too. It's maybe a little bit more modern and and, and, and zingy than something Iron Man would have said back in that 1979 comic. <laughs> right. But still, you know, it's it's it definitely stood out to me as something it's that colorful. I enjoyed. Yeah. Yes, it's very colorful. That was our moment of color. <laughs> Brian, did you have any favorite moments or favorite lines? That's kind of weird, but I really like his one bug eye. Oh, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I That stood out to me, too, the fact that he's got one eye that's kind of like the... the the piece of the cowl is tore out, so you see his actual eyeball. Oh, the stink know? eye. <laughs> his, well, his actual blue Bruce Wayne eye, you know. Yeah. Like, because normally Bruce uh, Batman has the the lenses in that, like, you know, yeah. they're opaque and they they block. All you see is the white eye. Uh, you don't see an actual human eye, and we see this human eye poking through through that entire that entire scene there. That's it's yeah. I mean, it shows that it's part of like him being. I mean, if we want to put some meaning into this or take some meaning out of it, it kind of looks like he's being torn down and made more human. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah. Todd? That was deep, bro. Thanks. Yeah, I mean there there are a number of good <laughs> moments. I liked when he punched Dick Grayson in the mouth. I thought that was a very Batman <laughs> way to end a conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to sock somebody in the face. Definitely. But I, we also <laughs> covered another uh, one of my favorite moments is those incompetent cops who let Alan Wayne <laughs> jump <laughs> yes. jump or fall into an open manhole. There's a great thing as you kind of read through here. Like, you understand later that he was taken by the Court of Owls, but then before you get to the point in which you realize that Alan Wayne was taken by the Court of Owls, there's this point at which Bruce Wayne refers to, like, (laughs) his great-grandfather's body being in the sewer for months, and the first thing I thought was, well, those cops saw him fall in there. Did they not even look for the body? Yeah. Yeah. Did they just leave it? Yeah. Like, oh, well. (laughs) just... You know, <laughs> well, it was like what the 1920s. Yeah, exactly. Just walk know. away. <laughs> I don't know how much effort they were putting into that stuff back then. Yeah, right. And the fact that it it probably got swept away. In, in yeah, that's probably, right. probably that. Right. I mean, that's that's there's a yeah. Or maybe they did go look, and because the court of owls had taken him, they just didn't find him. You yeah, know? no, I think that's what probably happened. But yeah. my first assumption was, of course, these incompetent cops didn't even go and look. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they had some flapper parties to go to or something. Yeah, right, exactly. I don't know what cops did in the 1920s. I wasn't there. Um, okay, any other last thoughts on Batman Court of Owls? I'm ready for Volume 2. Yeah. I'm ready for Volume 2 also. Todd, are you ready for Volume 2? Yes. Sweet. Okay. 
So I also wanted to ask the question, has anyone else been reading anything other than the assigned reading that they'd like to talk briefly about? Just kind of like pimp something that you've been reading, comic book, non-comic book, or or any other thing you've been experiencing in the last two weeks that you'd like to highlight and and talk briefly about? Scott? Uh, No, this is all I've been reading. Um, Have you been uh, experiencing any other sort of Experiencing? Yeah, any other cultural things you'd like to bring up besides the comic book? I don't know. I've been watching um, The Walking Dead. Okay, the new one. Is that cultural? I'd, I'd say so. I think that counts as like a nerd cultural type thing. I think they're on a pretty good string of like decent seasons. This nice. one's pretty decent so far. And okay. there was like that middle lull that they had. I don't know if it was like seasons two and three or something. I forgot what it was. But there was like a section there where the, the, I think the show was pretty two, bad. Season two is the notorious one on the farm. Yeah, it sucked, man. It's really bad. But this, yeah. this has been pretty good. I like yeah. it. I stopped watching last year. Uh, I stopped watching. I think at a, it was episode one or two at the end. I just couldn't take the way they ended it. And I just stopped there, and I haven't gone back because I just didn't feel like I could stomach what I saw, and if there was going to be any more of that. And obviously, we can't talk about it. And and I've been watching a ton of uh, South Park. Okay. Because I've just been like, I don't know, on a huge kick on it. Is there any comic book that's like South Park? I like, bet there's like a South Park totally comic satirical. Book. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, there's a lot of comedy uh, comic books out there. Uh, I know that like there's a Rick and Morty comic book, for instance. I bet there's some South Park adaptations out there. I don't know that for sure. I'm just taking a guess here, but there's plenty of comedic comic books out there, and there's plenty of comic books out there that have a lot of comedy in them, like a satire. I don't one. know if they're topical though. Topical satire would be great to me. I would yeah, topical is kind of hard in a comic book format because you know, like South Park can bang out an episode in a week. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be like today. It could be like from a few months ago. Well, we'll get back to that when I get to my thing. Okay. Um, Nope, that's it. Okay, Brian. Uh, Well, we were watching Death Note, but I think we're going to switch to Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that looks good. Have you been reading any comics on Marvel Unlimited or anything? I know you have a subscription. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm waiting for uh, as stuff comes out, but I'm kind of stuck in a lull because the whole Secret Wars, Mm -hmm. like the whole universe is collapsing. Yeah. And so the comics aren't coming out in the right order on the app, oh. so I'm just going to wait a little bit and just kind of let it all you know, kind of I'm going to tell you out. here, I, I, I've collected way more of the Secret Wars floppies than I should probably admit to. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, like, the stuff that happens outside of the actual Secret Wars comic book, like issues one through eight, doesn't really matter too much to the core story. There are some things that get woven in and out, but for the most part, you can kind of think of it as like a bunch of like four or five issue Elseworlds stories. Mm. So if you want to go and read, you know, any of those uh, Secret Wars uh, side stories, just go ahead and do it. You know, just read them in the order that they're released in and don't worry about them. Like, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, whatever X-Men comic, Age of Apocalypse, uh, is out of order with, uh, you know... um, I don't know. I don't even remember what they all are. The the whole comic Planet Hulk or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like they're all just like little Elseworlds stories and you can just read them in whatever order. The only thing that really matters as far as the continuity goes is Secret Wars. The title Secret Wars. Oh. Yeah. All right. So feel free. Uh, Yeah. And then uh, I've also been reading a lot of uh, Gene Lung Yang's uh, comic books. I don't know if you know. He uh, wrote Boxers and Saints. Hmm. And then uh, I just read. I actually read his second one first, okay. which is American Born Chinese. Okay. Oh yes, yes, I read that. Thumbs yeah, up. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, as a Chinese person, I think it, it was very topical and hit a little close to home. Cool. Do you think that we would enjoy it as non-Chinese people? I think so. I mean, Todd, I read it right. Yeah, I mean, it's. It depends what you want. I mean, it's a little navel gazy, but that's the whole sort of point of it. Uh, you know, so it, you just have to be 
you know, in line for a book like that. But yeah, I think it's pretty good and well-renowned. Yeah. Cool. Maybe, maybe in the future, future podcasts. Awesome. Yeah. Todd, have you been reading anything or experiencing anything other than comics? Yeah. I mean, I saw the first episode of Jessica Jones last night. I think mm-hmm. it's uh, pretty good, but I, I don't know. I, it's kind of broad and wide open. Um, but I, you know, talking about the walking dead, I was reading the actual sort of collected issues for a long time, but I just think on something like that, and I think this maybe have been where you were going too, Kyle, I think with something like that, I mean, I know in an end of the world scenario, certainly there's, <laughs> it is the end of the world and it, it will be forevermore, but it seems to me like there's got to be a beginning and an end. For me, you know, with, with Rick Grimes um, trying to save his family and everything, you know, there's got to be a point at which you get to some sort of safety. You know, if it just goes on and on and on and more and more people die, and I'm not going to put any spoilers out there, but, you know, I mean, you can see people kind of drop over time. Um, you know, I mean, it. I, I just can't maintain an interest in that. There needs to be sort of a beginning and an end to the story and just this sort of, you know, running on forever. Uh, it doesn't work for me. That's hard in zombie movies or zombie books or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there just needs to be some point of safety that people are going to reach, um, you know, or, some some way or another. Or they all die. Right, yeah. Some sort of end. A, a resolution of some sort. Right. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, yeah. what's the point? I mean, really. I mean, if there's, if there's no... If there's no upside, you know, if, the, if there's no positive place to get to at some point, I mean, if they all die trying to reach it or whatever, that, that is how it is. But, I mean, if there, if there isn't and you just have this sort of you're surviving just to survive, that seems much less compelling to me. Yes. Yeah. At some point, it's just uh, Minecraft the comic. Yeah, right. There you go. Uh, I, uh, I read, I, I, I've picked up quite a few floppies in the last week, but the one I wanted to talk about and highlight was DK3. Uh, the Master Race. It is the sequel to the last two Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns and uh, Dark Knight Strikes Back. Uh, so it's the first issue of that. Uh, it involves Batman coming back after being gone for, I believe, four years. Uh, and he is beating the crap out of cops in this issue. So, Scott, I was going to bring this back to being sort of topical. Uh, the Dark Knight comics have always kind of been about Batman standing up for the little man against, you know, the government or whatever powerful entity is putting people down, you know, the man, essentially. I think they even used the line, the man, in DK3. Uh, and we see that here. I think it's sort of a, a commentary on all the recent police violence uh, that we've seen in the news over the last few years, uh, where you've got Batman lashing out at the, the corrupt police that have kind of, like, infiltrated the entire poli- uh, Gotham Police Department. Uh, and of course there's some curveballs thrown in here and there by the end of it, there's a big curveball, and it's pretty interesting. Well-written, uh, well-drawn, definitely done in the style of the previous Frank Miller Batman comics, even though he's not the artist on this one. Uh, so I give it a thumbs up. I really like it. If you're into this Batman stuff and you liked the previous Dark Knight graphic novels or comics, I would say definitely go pick it up or wait for the trade. Anything else anybody wants to talk about? No. Nope. Okay, (laughs) next time in two weeks, we will be discussing Batman 8 through 12 and Batman Annual number 1, The City of Owls. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Say bye, everybody. Toodaloo. There we go.